Hey, my name's Don McLeod. I have been in Doomsday Mom, the Lori Vallow story. I've been in Project Blue Book, Frequency, Tomorrow People, and a few other things. <laughs> and you are listening to Neil Before Pod. Neil Before Blog presents Neil Before Pod. Hello and welcome to Neil Before Pod, the podcast that prefers to stick to its own universe wherever possible. I'm your host Craig and it's time to talk about, or ponder perhaps, the question, what if the most recent Marvel Disney Plus show animated Marvel thing, what if? So joining me to talk about this, I've got Aaron, hello from wherever universe I've pulled you from. What if you were actually phased down this recording with an Aaron from another universe that you didn't quite know but couldn't tell the difference, what would you do? I don't know. Didn't we discuss this on a previous one? It was on the Loki one, I think, where we thought we'd got you from somewhere else because you were being too optimistic. Oh, well, what did you do then? I just went with it. Oh, fair enough. Okay. <laughs> Not much else you can do. What if then would have very limited effect on yourself? There we go. There we go. <laughs> That's it. I would do what I always do when doing podcasts and just work with what I've got. No, I think you've answered it. That's it. I think we just sign off now. We've done it. What if? No yeah, that's concrete. it. That's it. Done. <laughs> no impact whatsoever. Yeah. But yes, Marvel are straying into animation territory, as in properly with their MCU stuff. They've done animation stuff before, of course, one of which we might talk about in the near future. Who knows if we ever get to that stage in our lives. But anyway, that's a tease for something for another day. So just to start, what did you think of the show What If and all of its episodes, just in general, without spoiling, as usual? Without spoiling, I would say it wasn't what I thought it was going to be in terms of the details. And I don't think it impacted very hard on me at all. I did like some of them, but not very many. I didn't hate any of them, but I guess I wasn't getting from it what I thought I was going to get. And that's that's always a tricky thing to overcome. Okay, yeah. What's well, my least favourite of the Disney Plus shows that they've released so far? And I think it has a lot of problems, and a lot of it's down to time, because they're trying to tell essentially a film in 20 minutes, and they're not equipped to do it or half an hour whatever length they chose to make the episodes. I don't think any of them were ever longer than half an hour, including credits. So it's iffy in that respect. I think they try to do too much too often and it doesn't really work. It was actually kind of exactly what I expected it to be. And we'll talk about what the finale ended up being and stuff like that. But I had the expectations going in and I got what I expected by and large, but I don't think it was necessarily massively successful. I mean, it was fine. I enjoyed it and... To a certain degree, I enjoyed every episode, but I think it struggled to create a bit of a stamp for itself, if that makes sense. And if it doesn't make sense, once we get into spoiler territory, maybe I'll be able to make sense of it. But yeah, that's what I thought. I totally get what you mean by it tried to do too much in one dimension, if you will. But interestingly, from a different perspective, different dimension, I thought it didn't do enough. And they are different characteristics that we're talking about, actually. I mean, I could say more, but I kind of doesn't know what counts as spoilers and what's not. But you can tell me, direct me in this universe. We'll just play it safe and consider whatever you're thinking about a spoiler. Yeah, we've got our general thoughts out there. So we can go into the spoiler dimension if you want right now, just to dig in. Do it. Let's do it. Follow me 
and ponder the question. What if? Okay, let's start with the concept. It's not the same as other TV shows we cover because it is very much jumping around different things. It's almost an anthology, but not quite an anthology, actually. I think that's probably the best way to describe it. But conceptually, what do you think of the idea of let's take a familiar thing that happened in a Marvel film that you've seen and twist it and change it and explore the possible outcome of that change? What do you think of that on a conceptual level? I don't think anybody would say that was a bad idea, but you're asking me directly, so I'll say I would agree with that. It's a good idea, and it should have been really interesting. And I don't say that it never was, but somehow I've taken it into my head that it would be more different to the original, and it wouldn't be, let's take something and slightly twist it. I really thought it would be, let's take something and really twist it. Some of the episodes went further than others, and they were better because of that. But I don't think all of them really pushed the boat out that far. Not far enough for me, anyway. I do agree with you. The episodes that strayed further away from the baseline plot, that they were saying, this is what's different, were the better ones. For example, the Captain Carter episode, as good as it was, I did enjoy it. I do think it's just a bit of a riff on the Captain America film that we watched. Mm. And I think all of them are guilty of this to an extent. They all make kind of assumptions that you're just willing to go with certain things. For example, the shield. Her wielding that shield doesn't make any sense because you see in First Avenger when Steve walks into that room that Howard Stark's in and it's all the possible weapons he could use and stuff. He's immediately drawn to that one. He picks it up and he's like, what's this? It's vibranium, it's all we've got, whatever. Whereas in that episode, Howard Stark just gives that to Peggy. And obviously the significance has to be there because it's iconic and it's her carrying the symbol, slightly altered in a way. But from a logic point of view, it doesn't really make any sense for her to have it. The same token as T'Challa being called Star-Lord, because that's what Peter Quill's mother called him when he was a kid. That's where he got the name. So where did T'Challa get it? Stuff like that. So it's, it's trying to draw that comparison to you without it necessarily making sense. I would take that further. You're right. I'm not, I won't challenge that at all, but I'll take it even further. With your Peggy Carter example, not only does it take away that logic you're looking for, but it also makes something very important quite meaningless. Because he, he might as well have just handed her a brick. And just said, here, all I've got in the laboratory is a brick. There you go. And she walks off with it. So you're, you're losing any chance for the character to define themselves and say who they are, where the original Captain America, where Steve actually says, I think I'm a defender. Peggy is not invited in any way to state who she is. And that's something that comes through the entire episode. I think she's just... Peggy Carter in the suit. The only difference is Captain America now has breasts where he, she previously didn't. And that's such a shame because what I was expecting for the first episode where you have to really say what people are going to be watching. The first episode is the one where you're going to catch your audience's attention. And if they like it, they're going to stay. And if they don't, they're going to wander off and you may never get them back. So in my first episode, what I'm expecting is somebody to actually say to me, this is what what if is all about. This is what it means. This is what you're going to be in for. And you are going to get another seven, eight episodes of this. And what they showed me was 
we're just going to give Captain America breasts. And that's it. When she becomes a female Captain America, it makes no difference. She gets bigotry thrown out to her, which I would expect. But even that's not what if, because that's how it was done. That's not something new. That's not something special. And then she gets transported into the future in the same way that Steve does. And you're thinking, right, here we go. The whole world has seen a female Captain America. Feminism's going to come earlier. Female empowerment's going to come earlier. Nick Fury is not going to necessarily be there. It could be Maria Hill. It doesn't have to be Hawkeye. It could be Black Widow. Just a very simple twist at the end to say, with this small change, we have a butterfly effect that has gone on to give us the benefit that women's rights has really marched on a lot faster than it has now. Nope, nothing at all. And you go through the entire episode, and having a female Captain America pretty much means nothing other than the chance to say there's bigotry in the world and there's a few jokes in it. Well, okay, I mean, I kind of get you. What if this was true? Well, yeah, I believe you. (laughs) That's true, but it's not interesting. I was disappointed with the first episode because there was nothing in it to me that marked the series as what if. It was just, here's a twist. Here's a slight twist is what I thought the series should have been called at that point. And I was really expecting a powerful what if this alternate universe is going to be really different. And it wasn't. And I think to a certain degree that carried on throughout the series so to be fair i was told what i was going to get (laughs) which is a shame so do you feel like with that first episode they might have been trying to ease the audience into the concept with something that is largely familiar it's okay this is different but it's not too different and we're not going to overload you with the major differences quite yet we're going to give you something that yeah here's a change but here you go just get used to it possibly possibly they were but i would raise a couple of questions on that, which is, who's your target audience? And the second question would be, if you're easing me in, what are you easing me into? Because you're easing me into a slight twist. What was so interesting about that first episode that it grabbed me as it was, you know, to say, keep watching, because I don't think it did anything so amazing that somebody who was being eased in would go, oh, I'm really glad I watched that. I don't think it hit the audience hard enough, even in terms of normal drama, take away the superhero stuff. I don't actually have the answer to either of those questions. So if you do, chuck them out. I don't really have an answer. I just think that might have been the rationale behind, we'll just do Captain America, but it's Peggy instead of Steve. And we'll give you something that's different, but not too different, just as a an ease in. And yeah, the bigotry and the, the sexism and things like that, it was there. But again, it's the time thing. We don't have time to explore this. It's only 20 minutes and we're just mm. going to spend it on the fights, really, most of the time. Yeah. Which, yeah, it's animation and we can go nuts with that. That's great. But at the same time, it's you've got this element in here that would definitely exist. And it just seems to go away because there's a brief bit about a woman as a super soldier. No, we can't have that. And then she gets to do what she wants pretty much from then on. There isn't really a resolution to it as such. It just resolves itself off screen because we need to get to that point. Although I do think they did really well with the Steve Peggy relationship, which remains almost exactly the same, even though that she has, quote unquote, the power now. It shows that 
there was a purity to that connection because she valued him for who he is. That's something, though, that you would only get something out of if you were somebody who had watched both. And I'm coming back to it. It's quite an interesting point to me is to try and establish who the target audience for this is. So I wonder if you have any thoughts. It's surely people that are familiar with the original story that they showed in a film, I'm guessing, because... Otherwise, it's, what is this? But if that's the case, I personally believe things like Guardians of the Galaxy have already tested the waters to see what kind of strangeness people would accept. And I don't believe a first episode of a cartoon that many adults... I mean, we're watching it and that's fine. I'm not trying to slate it, but I don't believe many of the adult viewers of the films are going to automatically transfer over into watching this on Disney+. Plus. So the ones that are coming over are probably already quite heavily invested. And I'm starting to think, if it was the idea to ease us in, I don't think it was necessary. I think that was a bit of a miss, actually, that they didn't need to do that. They should have gone in harder... But I don't know. People that had seen it then would appreciate that relationship. Yeah, totally get it. Such a subtle point, though. If that was the purpose of the entire episode, was to say that their relationship was, as you say, pure and and wasn't reliant on any social norms, fair enough. But then even that didn't really hit hard enough because the episode wasn't based around that. There wasn't any moment whereby... One of them had to save the other through an action of love because in the big end point, it's hot woman fights tentacles. And you're thinking, (laughs) I'm not sure about this. Where are you going with that? Fortunately, they didn't go too far, but it was still a bit, (laughs) what's going on here? Rather than having the love story. And it was there, but it wasn't central, I don't think. And if it was going to be that as the point, I would have rather it be. In a way, it had all the same problems at the first Avenger movie actually had. We've talked about it before. I've certainly talked about it before, how the mandate for making that movie is pretty heavy because we have to do the Captain America origin. We have to show the Second World War and we need them frozen. You have two hours go. Mm. And the fact that they turned that into something watchable is remarkable. But in this, it's just, oh God, we have to do all this and we have 20 minutes yeah. or 25 minutes. And it's the same problem. It's rushes through certain things. There's a couple of montages and whatever. And you get those key scenes that they share. And I didn't notice at the time myself, but this was pointed out to me that the scenes that they share are actually riffs on the scenes that Stephen Bucky have in the first Avenger movie rather than scenes that Stephen Peggy have. Right. So it's caused or it's allowed some people to draw the conclusion that if you quote unquote ship Peggy and Steve in this episode, then you must ship Bucky and Steve because they're the same interactions. I quite like that idea. I do. Fair enough. Yeah, it sounds like it could be a nice Easter egg. And that's an interesting one for the real hardcore fans to talk over. But I do wonder if most of the audience have gone, didn't even notice. No idea. Yeah, probably. I mean, First Avenger was a long time ago now, especially in the grand scheme of how many films there's been since. So it's probably not one people revisit all the time. I'm guessing. No, possibly not. No, not after all this time, especially when there's loads of new stuff coming out. Yeah. And there was some weird stuff in there. The big Iron Man robot, World War Two era Iron Man robot suit that Steve was wearing was a bit strange. And the big tentacle monster, the Red Skull, is just now summoning tentacle monsters instead of making weapons out of the Tesseract because he loses it early, stuff like that. There was just some 
weird ideas in there. Main reason I bring up the tentacle monster actually is because it reminded me of something we said when we were watching. It was probably you that said it actually. To be fair, watching Picard, and it comes back as well to just your standard tropes that come right out of Cthulhu, which is how do you make something scary? Well, you've got to use animal features that are not very common and that are completely alien compared to human physiology. It's almost like a cheap, free, frightening thing. I mean, it's not frightening at all. It's a free alien concept. He summoned something from another universe. It's definitely not us, therefore it must be nasty. And even then I'm thinking, so again, what you've done is you've gone for something that's just a cheap thought, a cheap visual, a cheap enemy. And it just made me think, oh, I just wished, again, you'd push the what if a bit more. What if it was a stranger monster that was somehow more relevant to this universe? Although the butterfly effect of Peggy would not have actually had as great an effect at that point to really knock it out if you were trying to think logically. But still, what if? What if it could have had something that was more defined by a woman getting that role? I don't think it was, unless you really are into your anime in that hentai sense. No idea. I assume all Disney audience isn't, but if you're out there listening to this and that's you, fair play. Law of averages suggests that must exist. Maybe not the law of averages. The sort of infinite diversity mm. principle, I guess, mm. suggests that that must exist somewhere. And she didn't really sacrifice herself, not in a definitive way. I know that sacrifice in First Avenger is very problematic in the way that it's executed, but it is very much a sacrifice. Whereas with her, it's, I have to push this thing or whatever, and then yeah. that's about it. <laughs> There's not much else. Well, it would have been interesting to see a bit more of that, actually, because quite a lot of Steve becoming Captain America is things like, he jumps on a grenade, and the scientist mm. just looks really smug as he says yep i picked the right guy and you yeah. army guys know nothing he has what it takes yeah and then one of the most iconic scenes for me of the entire film is simply steve sitting on a bunk sharing a drink with the scientist who's about to well frankly experiment on him but for good reason well steve can't drink because he has a procedure tomorrow but the scientist is certainly drinking but it's still an iconic scene it's a defining scene and it's very important and peggy doesn't really get those not to undermine what she did, though, because she's very much, somebody's got to do this. In I go. It is a bit self-sacrificing, I suppose, but it doesn't really seem to have any same impact. I didn't feel any emotion at that point, thinking, if she hadn't have done that, what would we have done? It, it wasn't the same as jumping on a grenade and then seeing the scientists and seeing the whole thing play out. And I know they only had 30 minutes, but yes, if you're not going to give me anything defining about Peggy, then I am going to say... That's what I wanted. That's what I wanted to see. What would the difference be with Peggy having this role? And I don't think we saw it. Yeah. And yeah, that was a longish discussion about the first episode. But I think it's important because it establishes or should establish, as you say, the tone of the thing that you're going to be watching for eight, nine weeks or however long it is. I think there was other episodes that did it better. And those were the ones that did branch out from their core concept. The second one, for example, T'Challa's Star-Lord, completely Mm. different universe. And they could explore it more fully because it was completely different. And I like how they riffed on people's expectations of what certain characters were going to be doing within that universe. Thanos shows up in the bar and he's one of T'Challa's crew, for example. He's given up his quest to wipe out half the universe because he's discovered a better way thanks to T'Challa. 
stuff like that. The second episode, again, it was limited because didn't have enough time to go through everything that it was presenting to us. But I found the core setup of it very interesting because it was just so different. So in my mind, the second episode should have been the first episode because it was the one that, well, first of all, selfishly, it was my favorite one of all of them. (laughs) But then unselfishly, I think it gave you a much better idea of what was supposed to be going on, what what if actually means. And people looking at that would have gotten a better idea of what to expect from the idea of something being completely different. Everything you've just listed goes to show the effect of T'Challa on the biggest parts of the universe, even as you say, as far out as he completely stops the click of the fingers and everything. That's it. That's Thanos done. And you can believe it. It's short and it has to be taken with a little bit of a pinch of salt because you've got to assume that Thanos is not going to go, oh yeah, you're right, over a single beard. That's not going to be how it could possibly have gone down. But when you're sort of in the moment and you're actually laughing along and it's quite funny and it comes up, there is part of your brain that goes, yeah, I do believe T'Challa could have done that in his Star-Lord persona out there being a really good guy with his excellent upbringing in Wakanda. Nope, I believe he could do that. That makes sense to me. And the entire universe has therefore felt this butterfly effect that I say, I don't believe you saw in the first episode with Peggy. Her butterfly effect was almost negligible. T'Challa's is massive. And therefore you're getting... A really good what if. I think you're probably right. Maybe they did want to ease people in. But again, I'm coming back to why? You know, put T'Challa or Star-Lord, number one, right in there. It's sit up and watch and see what could actually be and see something completely different. I think it would have gotten a lot more attention, if I'm honest, and good attention. There's also the fact that the Watcher outlines what you're going to be watching at the start of every episode. You think it played out this way, but here it's playing out differently. So it gives you that mission statement anyway. So yeah, you could have started with T'Challa as Star-Lord as an episode and it would have worked because you're going to see it next week anyway from the perspective of watching Captain Carter. If you keep watching. If you keep watching. And it's that, okay, what's next? What's going on here? And I do think there's flaws in the second episode. I really enjoyed it as well. But I liked how the characters were different. Nebula being very different because Thanos isn't tearing her to pieces and rebuilding her and things like that. T'Challa's dad doesn't die. There's a suggestion that the universe might be slightly worse off when Ego turns up to grab Peter Quill at the end of the episode. Although that's undone in the finale within seconds. He's a non-issue. Yeah. <laughs> Just defeated very quickly, which is unfortunate, I suppose. And the thing is, in, in the What If comics, certainly originally, part of what they were getting at is, here's why it should have played out the way that you saw it. Here's why this universe is worse. And there were some of them where I didn't get the impression that the universe was any worse off by this change. Certainly in the Peggy Carter one, you don't get the idea that it's a worse universe. And when they pick it up later, she's doing Winter Soldier. So it's, okay, Yeah, things aren't that different. Don't seem to be worse. And in the case of T'Challa as Star-Lord, things seem to be measurably better in a lot of ways. Yeah, to be fair on that one, though, they could have done that. But the Watcher doesn't say that at the start. Therefore, I wasn't expecting it. And that would have been something to enjoy for people who had read the comics and did want that, but as someone who didn't read the comics, didn't know that was coming, the only way I could possibly appreciate that is if the Watcher told me, and he didn't, he just said, 
it's different. They were therefore internally consistent, as far as I'm concerned. What you're saying, I totally get, and it, it would be a what's the opposite of an Easter egg for people who read the comics, but not therefore a problem. Yeah, and the the show, as you said, never said we're going to show you why this is worse. Yeah. There was certainly in the first two, well. In the second one, anyway, there was a suggestion of here's why it's worse. Now, he goes on Earth and he's after Peter Quill. So this is going to play out possibly very badly from here on out. Plus, you don't get any wider context of do the Avengers still form? You would assume so, because T'Challa's disappearance would have zero impact on those events, surely, up yeah. until a point. So you would think that everything would play out as it is. Although I suppose it depends if he interfered with Asgard in any way. In which case, maybe he stops Loki or whatever. I can't remember if they mentioned that. If it was, it was a throwaway comment for a joke, and it might have been hilarious, but I can't remember it. Yeah. But equally, he might have stopped Ego quite happily too. So, who knows? Yeah, absolutely. So in terms of the Watcher, obviously he guides us through this. He tells us what's changed and then explains that he's going to view it. And then he's going to view how those changes play out. And then you see him throughout most episodes in the background in the sky and stuff like that, just appearing, just watching and and looking at things. What did you think of the idea of the Watcher as a narrator? Do you think he has a character? Obviously he becomes one by the end because of the interference that he must do. And that's what they were building to. But do you think he's a character or is he just a mouthpiece? I only ever took him as a narrator. I think if you're used to, as a film student or equivalent, you would be very used to the idea that somebody will start out as one thing and then you get the twist on the twist. And I can honestly imagine that quite a lot of people in the audience were expecting the Watcher to suddenly become a character later on. I wasn't, I saw it at face value. I did just see him as a narrator at the start. And it was one that I welcomed. I quite like the idea of the Watcher just as a narrator. I was introduced to it a little bit throughout the films. I think because there's one of them that has Stan Lee being, not imprisoned, but he's, he's sitting on the ground on some sort of space scene. There's a bunch of people just kind of standing there over him and they're just watching. That's all I associated with it was, yep, there are beings out there that sit back and watch. And I've also seen the adverts for the Eternals where somebody comes along and says, Thanos? Really? Nope. Didn't feel like it. Not your thing. So I'm I'm already used to the idea that there are, to come to my gaming roots, non-player characters who are just sitting in the background there for their own purposes. So to me, he was a narrator, and that was fine at the start. When he became a character later on, didn't really get anything out of it, actually. Didn't enjoy that bit at all. Perversely, enjoyed him better as a narrator. They built it naturally enough, I think. It took a long time for him to actually get himself involved. And the idea that he did enjoy watching these things is fine. But when he does become a character, it comes with an extra set of questions. Well, why is he watching these universes? What's he doing this for he talks about his oath who did he make this oath to he desires to interfere because he really wants to help these stories along again fine that's okay that's scientists in a lab rat isn't it i don't want to see these rats killed because i've become attached to them that kind of thing or it could be that i don't think it is that i don't think the the show does that at all he becomes properly invested in what's going on you never know no but questions around who is this oath he made to? Are there consequences to the fact that he broke it? The finale doesn't suggest either way. It's possibly going to be picked up in the next season. But I would like mm. some kind of tease of, I'm in for it now. Yes, I'm going to agree with that on a character level. 
if they want to bring him in as a character, then I need to see a lot more from him. But I don't know where you go because you've already gone to top level. How do you go to a power level higher than the Watcher? Because at some point, you're coming to what I always refer to now in these podcasts as the Trillion Dalek problem. <laughs> it's just irrelevant. If there's somebody higher than the Watcher with even more power, do I care? Can I appreciate the difference? How am I going to make this personal? And it didn't impact on me because once it gets to a certain level, I don't think you can appreciate it. What I could appreciate which was not in a good way, was when they actually give the Watcher, who can see all the universes, a chance to exercise whatever power it is. He just blasts out some colored rays, Ultron. Mm. And I'm sort of okay with that down at the level of Thor, because I know Thor is the god of lightning, so I know it's lightning. I'm okay with Tony Stark doing it because he's got an arc reactor. So again, it's some form of electrical energy. And they're just using something that is an extension of who they are. You know, Tony Stark made this, that his character is in that. Thor is the god of lightning. His character is in the lightning. And, and all of that is, is sort of fine. So I don't care if it's just a beam at that point and it's not doing physical damage. It's just knocking people back. I've already bought into that. That's the conceit of this. But because they've got character, it doesn't matter. The Watcher has never been given a character. So when he blasts out some energy, is he using the raw power of creation? <laughs> is he using negative energy from black holes and somebody would have been sucked into a gravity well? It kind of doesn't matter, but because it also doesn't matter, it's also another thing that is just undefined and a bit pointless. It almost comes to matter because it's another thing that has no value. So they're just having this kickabout. We're just blasting each other left, right, and center. No definition at all. So he becomes so much worse, I think. He, do you know his most interesting point for me was when Strange becomes partially aware of him? That's the mm -hmm. most interesting thing the Watcher does as he suddenly goes, What? He can hear me. Bye. And you know, just panics because it's not supposed to happen. After that, all downhill, I think. It's similar to that, but I like the bit where he was watching Clint and Natasha going through the Russian archive, trying to find the answer to the Ultron problem. And he was standing there, all ethereal, like, oh, if you just turn around, if you just look at this file, you find your answer. Come on, I want to help, but I can't help. And it's that... I really want to step in here. I want to nudge you in that direction, but I can't do it. And then Natasha notices it anyway. I like that, but that is very similar to the strange almost notices him and then later does notice him thing. If they maybe had a whole season of just that, him just kind of peripherally not getting involved, but wanting to get involved, that might have been much better. Obviously, they wanted their big multiverse Avengers finish, and they had that. Yeah. No, you're right, actually. I'd forgotten that part. And it isn't all down there. For, that was a bit ungenerous. I mean, that bit is just as good. And I think I would have valued, as you say, something starting out being a little bit of nothing, where he's not getting involved, moving up to, he's desperate to getting involved, moving up to. And if that layered effect had been a bit more obvious, yeah, I would have enjoyed that. At the end, though, I still would have needed more than what we got. So maybe the answer to your question originally should have been, I thought he was a narrator and I wanted him to be more of a character. Maybe that's the best description. Fair enough, yeah. And the narrator thing, it worked and it didn't for me because there's things like, who's he talking to? And again, when he becomes a character beyond a narrator, you start thinking about these things, or certainly I do. And it starts off by, 
whoever he's talking to, which is us, the audience, obviously. Mm. And in the comics, it was us, the audience. And your universe was assumed to be the universe that you've been reading. But he's taken an oath. So he's clearly governed by someone in some way. And that suggests that he's talking to someone who is from a universe or the baseline MCU universe, I think. Because he keeps saying, in your universe. Mm. You're not talking to me because I don't live in that universe. I wish I did, but I don't. It does raise the interesting question. Actually, I don't wish I did. I don't want to live there. It does raise a couple of interesting possibilities there, actually. It could be that he's just talking to his own captain's log. It doesn't actually make sense because he is talking to somebody in the universe, but maybe he is just literally mad and he's talking to himself. <laughs> yeah. And he thinks he's conversing to one of the TV screens, but in fact, he's talking to all of them, which I think would be interesting from a certain mental health point of view. The other possibility is as soon as Ultron notices that the Watcher is talking to somebody outside of my TV screen, logically Ultron turns to camera and says, right, you're next. Yeah. I mean, it's a cartoon. It wouldn't have been horrifying, but it would have been, oh, <laughs> what do you do now? Yeah, how are you going to do that? Yeah, definitely. Deadpool and him having a chat somehow, because that's possible now, because everything is. Yeah, interesting idea. Jeffrey Wright was a great voice for him as well, and I like when they started showing him more. He he looked a bit more like Jeffrey Wright. The Watcher is now black, where he wasn't in the comics. Well, it's a minor change as far as I'm concerned. I don't care about it in that way i don't care what color he is he's a cosmic being he can be whatever he wants i guess the fact that they gave him some of jeffrey wright's physical characteristics as well it probably suggests that he's maybe going to appear in live action at some point i dread that not because i don't want to see jeffrey wright and not because i don't think the character is something that couldn't find use but that is actually the point that i'm starting to dread with these already you've got the multiverse and you've got Doctor Strange and Scarlet Witch, who can play at that level, and the Watcher can play at that level, and that's fine. And Spider-Man, for some reason. But, I, but this is the thing. I want to be able to see more of Spider-Man. Oh, I'm, oh, I might get Daredevil back. Oh, yeah, fair enough. quite like to see that. But as soon as you start going, right, the multiverse is under threat. Daredevil's going to go, okay, all yours, mate. What am I going to do? What am I going to do? Throw a stick at it? He might be over there. I can sense something, but I have no idea what I'm going to do about that. <laughs> Bye! And as soon as you go up, we're already at saving the universe by tackling Thanos. I don't want to see people saving the multiverse. As, as soon as somebody comes along and says, if we don't do this, it's the end of the multiverse, I'm just going to be watching from behind my hands. And I know we've got Kang Kongra coming. Strangely, I'm kind of okay. I've been introduced to it through Loki. I'm, I'm sort of feeling all right about it. But if Loki has to save the multiverse... And then Doctor Strange has to save the multi a trillion Daleks. No, just <laughs> Yeah. Plus, we've already had them save the multiverse. It happened at the end of this season. Yeah, and the ending of this is something that I was just like, meh. Was not interested in the last two episodes at all, I'm afraid to say. Cool. Well, we'll definitely get to that, but touched on this a little bit. What were your favourite and least favourite episodes and, and why did they rank in that way? I'm not going to ask for rank all nine of them, one to nine <laughs> or whatever. Just that kind of high level, what were your favourite and least favourite things that you enjoyed or didn't enjoy if you needed to do that yeah i would have needed more homework time <laughs> unfortunately for the conversation i'm going to be honest but then you can direct the conversation how you want because we've already covered them my favorite is t'challa becoming star lord and my least favorite is captain carter so i can speak more on them if you want if you want to direct my conversation or if you want me to just pick another one instead i totally can up to you well no we've covered those in, in some detail so okay that's 
reframe it slightly. What are your other highlights and perhaps lowlights if you have them? Okay, yeah, that's good. All right, well, let's have a look then. Just have a quick run down the list. I felt like I should have enjoyed Doctor Strange more than I did. And it's only because I've seen so much of The Time Machine as a film slash book that I didn't. But I think number four is probably good. So you brought your darkness with you on that one, then, as you've said before. Yeah, I definitely think so, which is a shame, but I almost would want to sort of interview and ask you what you thought of that one, because you might not have that perspective. But it's probably worthy of a mention. What else would I pick as my low point? I found, no, I'll stay on another high point. I think the episode with Thor being a party Thor was a bit strangely pointless, but I did find it funny. And so I enjoyed it, even though when I looked back at it, I thought, nothing happened. <laughs> but the writer made me laugh, so I'm going to have to give him some, or her, I know, was it him? I don't know, actually. I'm going to have to give them some points for that anyway. Low points, and you can pick out which one you want to talk about. Low points would be, again, things like Killmonger. Okay. What would happen if Killmonger rescued Tony Stark? Not this, probably. <laughs> well, it's just he would conquer Wakanda with a different weapon. Okay. I mean, yeah, I, I totally believe you, but it wasn't something that I counted as a what if. Or anything that was a low point for me was along those lines. It didn't push the boat out far enough. Good thing you brought up this Doctor Strange one. That was my favourite of the episodes because I thought it was a very good character-driven episode. And I think it did really well in terms of exploring what it set out to do. Mm. Doctor Strange lost his heart instead of his hands. And I did have a discussion with more than one person, actually, where they mentioned the conceit didn't work for them because Strange never had that relationship with Christine in the movie. And they couldn't even remember Christine's name. Any of these people I spoke to about it, which says a lot about her effectiveness as a character in that film. And I do agree, she's massively underserved by that film and probably by this episode, to be fair. But at the same time, my counter-argument for that was you're assuming the point of divergence is the beginning of the Doctor Strange movie, which it doesn't have to be. It could be much earlier where they have a much closer connection. In the film, he doesn't take her with him to that party he's going to or whatever it is. In this, he does. So it's different in that respect. They are together at the beginning. It doesn't really make it clear that this is totally different. Their lives have been completely different up to this point. They've gotten to this point together, etc. But I was okay with that. I was okay with the fact that, yeah, okay, we're in a different universe where he has a closer relationship with her early on. And that's why her loss resonates so deeply with him. And it takes him down a darker path towards learning magic. And he becomes obsessed with undoing this fixed point which is hilarious in a multiverse concept. We have this fixed point in time that doesn't exist in the main universe that we've been watching. Yeah, are they introducing that, though? That was a question I was going to ask you about this, because they have slowly started to introduce the idea of nexus events that cannot be changed because they are crossover points. And I was wondering, are they putting that in just to get us used to this a bit more as a rule of the multiverse before we drop into Doctor Strange 2 and and Spider-Man, where we're going to need to know that. I'm not sure, but I wonder, do you reckon that's the thing? Kind of. So in Doctor Strange, the Ancient One refers to this thing that she could never change, and she couldn't see beyond what turns out to be the point of her death. So they 
brought it up before, but they didn't focus on it. Mm. Just like they brought up the multiverse in the first Doctor Strange movie, and they haven't mm. really focused on it. It's just, we draw our power from the multiverse, and then they just move on from there. And then Endgame explores the multiverse in a way because they're jumping to different universes that they are creating by traveling through mm. time. So again, they're giving you these ideas but they're not drawing your attention to them. They're just in there as incidentals. But yes, this is very much giving you this whole, this is a nexus point and here's why you can't change it. And then there's difficulty associated with changing it. You don't have enough power to do it. You need more power. So he goes and starts harvesting creatures, like little gnomes and stuff. I thought it was a nice Mm -hmm. little touch, little amusing touch. I liked his descent into madness. And then there was the weird bit where the ancient one was like, well, I split you off. So there's a good one and a bad one. And I was thinking, okay, why? Why did you do that? I wonder if they maybe wrote it a bit earlier and they thought we can't really throw in the whole idea of the multiverse crossing over to other universes and things like that at this point. So we're just going to do a, here's two points of potential, I guess, that we can play off each other. And then I like that he didn't stay, well, he wasn't evil really, he was misguided. He realised his mistake, but it was far too late. And he was begging the Watcher to not let his mistakes doom an entire universe. And the Watcher's like, yeah, you're too late. Mm. live in this little bubble you've created off you go so i really liked all that i thought it was a really great character driven thing and the fact that they got the entirety of the voice cast for it and we'll talk a bit about the voice cast some of it's better than others but i thought benedict cumberbatch did a great job the fact that they got rachel mcadams to voice christine is, is insane to me because why would she come in for that other than money i suppose easy gig but she could have been anyone vocally speaking and she wasn't that well served in Doctor Strange, so it surprises me that she would be really up for that, but it's neither here nor there, I suppose. But yeah, I thought it was a great little character piece, and I really enjoyed it. And I, I really like seeing a lot of weird Doctor Strange stuff. It's something Isaac talks about all the time, too. His favourite bit in Infinity War was where Doctor Strange was fighting Thanos, because he does all that weird stuff, splits himself off and all that cool stuff. And you got to see a lot of that here. I liked his big demon form at the end, when he'd just been fully corrupted. That was really cool. And when he saw himself reflected in Christine, and he was like, God, what have I become? That kind of thing. So it was very much a fall from grace type situation. And I really liked how they played with that. Absolutely. And it's something that I just haven't appreciated enough of just because I couldn't break my connection to that potentially influential story that came before it. Maybe it was, maybe it wasn't. But I will say, yeah, the idea of Strange's different powers is one of the most interesting parts of the character because it's very easy for superheroes to just all have super strength, all run really fast, all shoot rays of some kind of energy out, and effectively, when it comes to the crunch, be the same person. So it's always going to be good when Doctor Strange fights with, I'm going to get a D&D reference in here, actually, why not a mirror image spell that gives him loads of versions of himself and Tony Stark solves problems outside of the armor and so on and so forth. You pick any character you want that's managed to do that. It is always a good thing. So when they do give you Doctor Strange doing something different, yeah, totally on board with that. Mm. And I've quite liked that he trapped himself in a time loop, similar to what he did to Dormammu without realizing it. Yeah, relevant to the character, definitely. Lily Swag for somebody that was watching. Yeah, cool. Yeah, it was a nice mirror thing because they do establish that. And then it played out like this and he still did this to Dormammu and that's why the universe still exists and whatever. And then he was trapping himself in this relentless cycle of trying to save Christine. And some of the ways he was doing it were quite inventive. It was, let's not go out tonight or whatever. And it would always end up the same way. That was the tragedy of it. You can't prevent this. And the increasing desperation is he couldn't prevent it and refused to accept that he couldn't prevent it as well. It was difficult for him to 
or it was impossible for him to accept it. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the idea of storytelling through the ages is an important one here. The idea that you can retell the same story for a new generation and should adapt the story so it impacts the next generation in the same way. Very powerful, very important part of all of human culture. And that is true here. So even though I'm saying I didn't get as much out of this because I, I reckon I've seen Time Machine, what I would say as the flip side of that coin is somebody has taken the Time Machine story, updated it to the new audience, and the new audience will be able to enjoy the concept of that even so. So I wouldn't ever want anybody listening to think that I'm trying to slate it for copying the Time Machine. That's totally not what I'm saying. All I'm saying is it didn't hit me as hard simply because I know the story, but I'm totally behind it. I think it was a great idea and it fit the character very well, definitely. Yeah. And I can't quite decide what my least favourite episode is, but I think the zombies has to be up there, down there, whatever Mm. way you want to look at it. The zombies one I found problematic because it just juggled tone so inexpertly. I really couldn't get on with what it was trying to do because on one token you had Peter Parker making Zombieland-style videos about how to survive the zombie apocalypse. On the other, you had people being killed left, right and centre with the characters who killed them showing zero remorse. For example, when Bucky kills zombie Steve, he just doesn't care. He makes a joke about it. Well, I suppose he is supposed to be the Winter Soldier still who is a bit emotionally crippled by his torture over the years. Well, remember, it's Infinity War era, so he's emotionally matured a bit since then. Well, only a bit. When he's having his buddy cop thing, though, with Falcon, which is very recent, the whole play of the buddy cop thing is, hey, I'm, I'm here, I've got emotions, I can talk to people, you're pretty much a brick, say something. No, you didn't because you were a brick. And that's what makes part of that fun. So he, he's never really emotionally developed too far. I mean, I, I don't want to challenge it too much, but I don't think I would have expected him to break down and cry the character he was. But maybe not make a joke about it. Well, yeah, maybe. Yeah, maybe fair enough on that one. But that's just one example. There's other characters that die with people that are either directly or indirectly responsible for their deaths or even just witness it and they're just, you know, whatever, don't care. Because the thing is, the episode establishes that the zombie apocalypse is only about three weeks old. So they haven't been at it long enough to be completely desensitised to the fact that people are dying around them all the time. Whereas if you're on, like, season six of The Walking Dead, someone will die and you're like, okay, whatever. It was going to happen at some point. I'm emotionally burnt out by this. I just can't be bothered grieving anymore. But... They weren't there. Is that a natural follow-on then from the idea that they don't have enough time to establish something? For sure, yeah. And therefore, natural sub-question is the way round that to set your story three years after the zombie apocalypse. So you can assume that people have moved on to that. Is it something the writer could have fixed, do you think, by just saying nobody's got the cure yet, but three years in someone turns up that does would that have made it better might have done it would depend on the execution and the juggling of tone was a big problem for me because you had all this intense emotional stuff that was in there and then you had paul rudd's head flying around (laughs) making jokes and peter parker making jokes although i will say that episode contained the best version of peter parker that's existed in the mcu so far because it does dig into his motivation in a really interesting way, whereas none of the appearances he's had has really done that. 
not to that extent anyway. I think in Civil War they touch on it, but after that they don't really. He mentions Uncle Ben for the first time. It's the first canonical mention of Uncle Ben in the MCU, mm. apart from apart from the initials on his suitcase in Far From Home. Bringing that to another point then, I do wonder if the juxtaposition of comedy and horror that you would probably get from a normal horror film was put in on purpose. Because if it was a horror film and people had been six years in, as you say, and they had gotten used to it, characters would deal with it in a different way. Some of them would just break. Some of them would become really hard. And others would, as we know, nurses in the NHS do, they have a really black sense of humor about it because you need that as a shield. So I'm wondering if it did manage to set up a horror film, but the series as a whole didn't let you know that was going to be a possibility. So it's a bit of a shock because when I'm looking at the episodes going down them, I can say Avengers style, Avengers style, Avengers style. And then one of them is suddenly murder mystery. Mm. It's, it's sort of spy noir. And then you're going down right, Avengers style, Avengers style, horror film, Avengers style, Avengers style. And it makes me wonder if those two that were spy film and horror film suddenly come out of nowhere unexpectedly. And would we have received any of these better if it had been a completely different genre every time? Or would that have been worse because it would have been too confusing as an anthology and it would have taken people too far away from the Avengers style. Did we need to see Marvel Marvel? Oh, here's something different. So we didn't get too shocked. Would you have gone in either of those directions or staying in the middle was that better? It's kind of difficult to say because it always comes down to the execution, isn't it? I mean, any idea is valid. It just depends on how you execute it. Assume it was executed well and you had the choice of every single episode was a different genre or every episode stayed Marvel Avengers style, but it just played more heavily into the what if and get you a better multiverse. Would you have enjoyed one more than the other? I always want them to feel different. Yeah, I think we talk about that whenever we cover the mainline films. We always want them to feel different. The individual stuff has to feel different from the other individual stuff. I know that the MCU has its critics and it's not unfair in a lot of ways, but I do think they've managed to create a bit of difference in their individual stuff. A Captain America film isn't the same as an Iron Man film. An Iron Man film isn't the same as a Thor film. Okay, Thor and Guardians of the Galaxy, they're not that different anymore, but... You get the idea. The reason it's endured so long is you're getting something different enough every time, or at least I am. Mm. And and the episodes kind of did. So those zombie ones specifically, I would really have liked it to pitch itself against something rather than trying to do all of those different things. Because I love that scene with Peter Parker and Hope where she directly asked him, how are you so positive? And he's like, well, I've got to be because I've lost so much. Yeah. And that's insight you don't get in the mainline films, which is very bizarre because those are the films that are exploring who he is or should be exploring who he is. Instead, they're kind of exploring his relationship to other heroes, I suppose, more than they are directly who he is, which is a bit of a shame in that way. But I really like that iteration of Peter Parker. I like the Vision stuff as well. The idea that Wanda and Vision, no matter what universe you're in, there's a tragedy there. Yeah. Him being driven mad by the fact that he lost her and things like that. Yeah, I was okay. I was on board with that. I just 
couldn't get along with the shifts in tone, which was a shame. And T'Challa was used well. Then you have a zombie Thanos at the end, and it doesn't resolve itself. It feels incomplete as well, the episode, which is annoying. It ends with, we're off to cure the zombie outbreak. Here's zombie Thanos with four Infinity Stones. What does that mean? Well, I don't know if it is unresolved in that sense, because to me it seems to fit the horror movie baselines that were introduced in 70s horror movies. The good guys win at the end, and then just after they've won, they completely lose. Mm. It's very much the old zombie movies of the past. You've saved the day, but actually you're still lost. It gives you that horrible end point. I think they were just trying to hit the horror movie bases with that. They really were trying to give you a totally different genre, which I don't think they were trying to do with the other one. Well, the, the spy thriller one, I do. But with the other ones, they were. Yeah, you, you're in to watch the Avengers again. Yeah. The Killmonger one, I actually quite like the Killmonger one in a lot of ways. It's weirdly unfocused because it starts off with you thinking it's going to be a Tony Stark episode and then it's not. It's the Killmonger one and as you say, he does ingratiate himself into Wakanda in a slightly different way, but he's still duplicitous about it and things like that. Um, I thought it was okay. I enjoyed it for what it was. The Thor one was probably among my least favourites, though. You said you found it funny, I didn't. I found it frustrating. Mm. So I think that episode does come down to that because it has nothing else. Absolutely. It's very black and white in that sense, absolutely. Yeah. So it's party Thor and you get to see Loki as a frost giant. Fine. You get Howard the Duck. You get Howard the Duck. Yeah. For the second or third time in the the entire show, he's there a couple of times. And you get Jane Foster and Darcy and all them. And yeah, I mean, it's fine. Playing on that whole teenager goes a bit nuts when parents are away for the weekend type thing and Thor has to clean up the entire planet before his mum notices stuff like that I didn't find it that funny I, I found it more frustrating than funny but Chris Hemsworth has always did a really good job with his vocal performance well, yeah. he's a very funny guy he's very good at his comic timing for sure I do want to talk about the murder mystery one though Okay. we touched on the divergence point being earlier than you thought it was when I talked about the Doctor Strange one that's one that works because it might as well be earlier. It doesn't really matter. It doesn't impact the story. But in this one, it does because the resolution to the mystery is it's Hank Pym killing the off the Avengers because he wants revenge against S.H.I.E.L.D. because he blames them for his daughter's death because in this universe, he's a S.H.I.E.L.D. agent. So you spend the whole episode wondering what the hell's going on, wondering why the Avengers are being killed. Who is it that tickles Hawkeye's finger so he fires an arrow at Thor and murders him? Who can blow up the Hulk from the inside? Which is insane when you think about it. Is it that easy? Is is it really that easy to kill the Hulk? It brings back that whole theory that people were flying around with with Thanos. Yeah. Ant-Man could have defeated Thanos by climbing up his ass. By that logic. Disturbingly, yes. Yeah, he probably could have. That's all he had to do. But throughout the episode, it was playing with that whole, this is the murder mystery and Black Widow being at the centre of it. I was all for that. I was all for, here's Black Widow trying to solve a murder that plays around with these connected films in the MCU because that was the beauty of it. Iron Man 2, Thor, The Incredible Hulk, they were all happening at roughly the same time, within days of each other, and there was overlap in those films. And you maybe didn't notice it at the time, especially when The Incredible Hulk came out a couple of years before the others did. Fine, but it's great that they can play around with that. It's funny putting Mark Ruffalo in an era when Edward Norton was playing Bruce Banner, stuff like that. It's just a very fun concept, I suppose. The first time I watched it, I was trying to solve the mystery as I was going. And I think we talked about that during One Division as well. It got to the point where the resolution came and it's there's no way I could have got that as a viewer. None. 
but it did seem to be suggesting that I could figure it out up until that point. Oh, right. Or I felt like it was. I felt like it was dropping clues, but I didn't have enough information because it never told me Hope Van Dyne was a S.H.I.E.L.D. agent. Yeah, unless it was... I know that all of these ones have got Easter eggs in the background. I've not actually been through the episode a second time to go and look and see if on a bookshelf of somebody's office it says reports by hope van dyne if it was then fair enough but it's really difficult that actually when you set up a murder mystery thing i think to convey to the audience whether they should or should not be able to solve it there are subtleties to it it can be done and i think one of the biggest ones you've already mentioned if people are dropping clues throughout and you pick up on that you are being told as an audience yeah, you can solve this. I didn't get that, actually. I didn't think I was being given clues. I thought it was just being hidden. But as I say, I've not done the analysis to find out one way or another. It might be interesting to go back and watch it for that. That didn't break the episode for me as such. It just, when the Hank Pym reveal happened, I was like, oh, okay, that's where we're going with this. And then by then, the Asgard stuff had started kicking in, and I thought, this is too much. You're bringing in too much here. I was happy with it being a Black Widow mystery, but I suppose... Loki had to be involved because Thor had been killed. So mm. Asgard weren't just going to sit by and watch this happen. But the point of divergence is way earlier than you assume it is. But at the same time, it starts in the way that you remember it. So obviously her being a S.H.I.E.L.D. agent didn't affect the universe too much. No. Certainly not in ways that you would ever notice. But I liked the focus on Black Widow and Nick Fury early on in the episode. And I was really engaged with what it was setting up, and then the Asgard stuff, it just felt a bit too overblown at that point. And I think every episode is guilty of that to an extent. As in, we've got this massive toy box and we're going to throw as many toys in as we possibly can, whether it benefits the episode or not. Yeah, I was just going to agree with that. There's always just a lot in each and every one. There's a certain thing you notice through quite a lot of these whereby each is trying to focus on a different avenger just to make sure that you don't see the same story twice you don't see the same character twice and obviously you don't necessarily know it's setting up the ending where they've got to do that but i think it's very interesting to see that when they pick black widow you do naturally see a transition into a different genre Mm -hmm. when you pick any of the other characters it doesn't naturally transition into any other genre at all I would struggle to say who the central character was in Zombies. And maybe there wasn't even one because they do bring them back. But nobody's brought in as a hero, I don't think. They're brought in as a weapon. Bush could argue it's Peter Parker, but... But then he's not used. But again, you wouldn't expect certain street-level heroes to play at the multiverse level. So I wouldn't expect to see him there. The Zombies one started off as if it was going to be Banner because he was your first point of contact, but then he doesn't really do anything as such throughout the episode. The one good thing about these episodes is actually it allowed you to see interactions you wouldn't normally see. Conversation between Banner and Peter Parker worked yeah. pretty well for me and stuff like that. There's a variance of interactions there. The episode that we're talking about, the murder mystery one, they're the characters as you know them at that point in time. And I think their behaviour made a lot of sense. I like when Loki showed up and Nick Fury wasn't afraid of him and was trying to assert his own power even though he didn't really have any he was bluffing it and that was good just like he did in the avengers when he first encountered loki but then you get that bit where the other black widow gets shoved into that universe in the final episode and he's just like well you're not my black widow but yeah sure aliens 
just appeared and now there's a multiverse so i'm just gonna roll with this <laughs> again that's a conceit it's like we don't have much time here we don't have time for nick fury to sit down and contemplate no. the meaning of existence because he's one nick fury out of an infinite collection of nick fury he's a very practical problem solver yeah who's starring in an epilogue of some other story it, yeah that's what it's yeah. gonna be <laughs> and i liked in that murder mystery episode where everyone assumed that natasha was the culprit initially and it's well on paper i have to arrest you but i'm gonna help you get out of this because i know it wasn't you and i know you're my best oh. chance of getting answers it's a really good showcase of that connection and that trust that they do have that you see throughout the films yeah Again, fitting into that genre change, that's what you expect to see in a spy thriller. That competition of loyalty and betrayal is right at the heart of spy yeah. films. And I wish it was just that. I wish it was just a murder mystery where Black Widow had to solve a murder. You could even just not have Thor be killed. The Thor movie plays out as it does, as normal. Um, no one kills him. And then you don't have the Asgard angle because they're off with Coulson or whatever doing that in that film. Yeah. Because... At the point he was killed, it wasn't really he's a candidate for being the Avengers. And again, that's the, you have to accept this logic leap. He was just some weird guy that showed up out of nowhere that they were investigating. He wasn't an Avengers candidate at that point. No, there was no need to kill that person. There was a random murder for the sake of it. Yeah. I mean, it's because we know that he is an Avenger. That's why it happens. Oh, do you know what that means? That means that that particular version of Pym is the evil watcher because he's got that knowledge. Yeah. <laughs> He's an alt watcher, alt verse watcher. I love how Hank Pym dooms two universes as well. He kills the Avengers and he brings back the zombie virus. Yes. That was a weird divergence point as well. It's like, yeah, he accidentally brought back a zombie virus. It could have easily happened in the other universe. It wasn't really a choice or anything that made it different. No, although to me that's perfectly reasonable. There are things in the universe, in the world that are completely out of your control. It is more about how do you deal with problems rather than having control over them. So I'm all right with that. But yeah, comedy angle that it's maybe he's got the unlucky stone in his pocket and doesn't realize. Yeah. He arrived at a different point or I guess it was his wife that arrived at a different point and was exposed to something different, I suppose. But yeah, who knows? It just is. It's, yeah. I've always wondered what she survived on in the quantum realm, by the way. What kind <laughs> of quantum fungus was she eating? Yeah. And she just went the wrong way in a quantum forest and just ate the wrong quantum fungi one time. And now that's it. Like, yeah. You know? It's always a thing when people are exiled somewhere for a long period of time, isn't it? What did they eat? How did they go to the bathroom? How did they shower? That kind of stuff. It's fine when it's a desert island full of bananas and mice and what have you, but when it's the quantum realm, <laughs> you're thinking, yeah, what's going on here? Yeah. Because she still aged, so therefore there was deterioration happening and things. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. I mean, yeah, it's science slash magic. And yeah. we walk away. We all just agree to put our hands over our eyes and keep walking. Just don't it. question it. Yeah. Don't you? We touched on this earlier and I was talking about how, well, it doesn't make sense because I know that at that point in time, Thor wasn't a candidate for being the Avengers. He was just some weird guy that showed up with a hammer. They didn't know what it was. They were investigating. It would be after that, they'd be like, okay, having that muscle on our team would do good. But up at that point, no. Every episode, to a large extent, relies on you knowing the wider universe, which is fine because it's a spin-off in a way. It's a side thing and it's celebrating the continuity in a way by messing with it. So do you think it's fair enough to expect the audience to know the thing that it's spinning out from? Or do you think it should stand alone and work on its own merits? I have 
conflicting thoughts on it. See, the thing is, I still want to come back to my first episode and have somebody tell me who the target audience is. You can do what you want, but you have to set it up at the start. And therefore, I suppose it comes down to a matter of what would I have preferred, or it could be what do I think was good to Disney to do as a business. Logically, as a business, it needs to be able to stand alone to a good degree based on the idea that people have heard of the Avengers and know a little bit about them. That seems like the proper business model. I think there's room in the franchise, though, to really kick out and just do some weird stuff. Because the world is massive. Disney's everywhere. It's been going for over a decade. And I think they really could make enough money from doing something that just assumed you knew stuff. But that is not a very good way to make money. So I don't think they would go for that at all. I think it will always, to some degree, have to stand alone. I've just said on record several times, I wanted it to push the boat out further. So I would have been happier myself as a fan of a decade's worth of content if they'd have just said, I'm going to assume you know a bunch of stuff and we're going to go for it. I would have wanted that. Yeah, and some episodes relied on more knowledge than others. The T'Challa one, your favourite one, all you need to know is there was a... You don't need to know that. It tells you, but you could walk into that one and, and just see that as a story in itself. And I know that the showrunner said that they planned to do a spin-off that was set in that universe, which they <laughs> say they can't do now. If they stop being so precious about Chadwick Boseman voicing T'Challa, then they could. Oh, well, they've replaced. I say replaced. That's not fair. They've put some stand-ins throughout this already. So yeah. I wonder, is it just... Out of respect, I suppose? I, I don't know. I mean, yeah, when someone dies, people like to leave things with them. Mm. It was theirs. I do get that, actually. But we've seen quite a lot of things throughout our storytelling as a culture where we've had mantles being passed so i wouldn't consider it totally disrespectful but maybe it's a time issue maybe yeah. there needs to be a right amount of time and then after that time has passed somebody will moot it and people will say yes it's time nobody can tell you what that length of time is but it will just feel right i guess that's what i'd expect mm. but yeah you're right they did recast a lot of people not a lot actually not that many but Black Widow, for instance, was voiced by Lake Bell. Voiced very well by Lake Bell, but it was very much mm. not Scarlett Johansson, obviously. No. But I thought her take on Black Widow was very good. And I, actually, I felt like she was distinct, especially in the universes where she was different or more different. Obviously, her Iron Man 2 era persona, you know who that is. But her mm. Ultron has destroyed the universe persona is different. Although you can still tell it's her. But she's just more detached, I suppose. Yeah. And that was good. I think some of the voice actors were better than others. Sebastian Stan, not a very good voice actor as Bucky, I don't think. I'm not going to challenge you on it, but I will reveal my lack of awareness of it by saying I didn't notice okay. it being a problem. Yeah. Do you know, there's a funny few things that we speak about on here and, and I find I don't notice them like some other people do. You might have to carry me on this and talk <laughs> about the voice acting a bit further and I'll try and ask you questions. Did you notice that Peter Parker wasn't Tom Holland? Oh, I can tell there's a different voice, but unless somebody's going to come across and act like this, then I can tell. But if it's just the certain flexing of the emotional muscles that didn't come across, 
I, I don't know. I didn't notice. I can't claim to have noticed. It's something I think about a lot because I've talked to a couple of voice actors over the years. And more recently, I talked to Daisy Tormey, who voices a, a AI in Superman and Lois. And she was talking a lot about voice acting. And the thing is, it's, it's something you can see a lot. And it, obviously, it's a skill. And it's a very different skill to acting in live action. Whenever a big Disney film comes out or something, a big animated film, it's like, look at this A-class cast we've got here. Anybody could be voicing these characters. You're not seeing these actors. You're just hearing mm-hmm. them. And some of the time, those actors just aren't very good voice actors because it's not their skill set. They're not very good at it. There's plenty of actors who can do both very well, such as Mark Hamill, for example. Yeah, well, Some would argue he's a better voice actor than he is a live-action actor, and I wouldn't challenge that necessarily, but there is actors that are very good at both. I'm not trying to deny it's a skill. I totally believe that. I'm somebody that's definitely into doing the study and perfecting your skill with it. I think it's more just that I've spent a lot more time studying and looking into story than I have some of the other parts of filmmaking that's all so it's more than I'm bowing to your expertise rather than saying I don't believe it's a thing I totally do believe it's a thing most definitely well the interesting thing is I didn't initially notice that it wasn't Tom Holland voicing Peter Parker it was close enough that I was fooled for a little while Yep, sure but you obviously must have gotten past that if you really liked that Spider-Man that version yeah well I thought the performance was good as well which really helped and there was a voice actor we're both very familiar with for Captain America, or Steve, depending what episode it is, was Josh Keaton, who was Spider-Man in the Spectacular Spider-Man. He voiced him. Oh, Steve. really? Yeah. Oh, I wouldn't have made that connection. No, well, again, he's a good voice actor. Yeah. Because they don't sound alike. And he doesn't have many lines, if any, as actual Captain America. No. Most of his contribution is as small steve the pre-serum steve or the no serum steve sure i think he does have one or two lines as captain america in the zombie episode before he's bitten and stuff like that i think he says something right so there's a thought but most of the cast are returning which is really interesting i don't know how ironclad that makes their contracts whether they've just been forced into this but the fact that they managed to get almost everybody back I don't know. I suppose it's you've got to do eight appearances. Here's a free appearance where we just send a bunch of sound equipment to your house if you can't get in. You've all got massive houses, so it'll be fine. Could be just a freebie. Could be. Yeah, I didn't really want to drive that too much. I just, um, I just thought I would mention it. It's in the notes. Did you notice? You kind of didn't. It does show though that they are, as a company, Disney, Marvel, committed to what if being important to them. It wasn't just a throwaway extra just because we had to make a cartoon because everybody's doing a cartoon and we need one. It convinces you that, oh no, this is really seriously part of our stable offering here and we think you're going to enjoy it as much as the rest. So to be perfectly honest, even though I might not have noticed enough about the voices to really pick up the fine detail, I have noticed that the voices have come back and think, oh, right, fair enough. Mm. This is just as important as the rest of your stuff. And I'm impressed by that commitment, actually, because there there aren't a lot of companies that would say the cartoon is as important as the film, because a lot of companies would go, well, there's the film, and then there's that thing we make for the kids so we can sell toys. That's what that is. (laughs) It feels like they've put more into it than that. So, fair play. Yeah, I suppose it spins off from voice actors, but characters. So we talked about favourite episodes and things. Was there any characters that really stood out to you as being very strong? And did they have emotional resonance? Did you like them because they're different? Or did you like them because they reminded you of the version that you'd seen? 
Or is there a combination thereof? A rather simple answer of no, none of them. Okay. I think that's part of my problem with this series. I did not emotionally connect to anybody here, and I didn't see my favorite character in a different light that I thought, oh, that's interesting. It didn't, to me, seem to be about the characters, any of them in particular. Number one, Peggy with Steve could have been about the character, as you've described, a love story, but it wasn't a central part of the plot. The only ones that really connected with me were the ones that I found funny. And then it's more about the writing and arguably the delivery. I won't challenge that, obviously, but it is more about the lines than it is about the character. Like, I didn't say, oh, that was an interesting version of T'Challa. There's a character that I loved in a totally different light. It was more, that's funny. I'm glad I saw that. That was really interesting to see it. I didn't bond in any greater way with T'Challa, though, because of it. It didn't offer me a different perspective on him that I didn't consider. And going through it, I could believe that it was offered. I won't say for certain that it wasn't offered, but I can say that that was not something I was able to do with this series at all. All nine episodes, not at all. It makes me think that you must have done, though. In some cases, well, I already talked about Peter Parker, who uh, found him interesting. In fact, possibly more interesting than the version that we're watching. I don't really want to see that version in live action, though, because we've already got him. He's not any different. Mm. It's just that they dug into a part of it that they've never dug into in his own films or his appearances. writing rather than character. So it's not a different version of the character. It's just here's how this Peter Parker would react if a zombie apocalypse broke out. (laughs) So he's the same guy. I found the characters that were very different, interesting. Doctor Strange, for example, very different to the baseline version that we're used to. Similar enough, but still very different, much more tortured, etc. quite like that. Captain Carter, she wasn't very different. She was a hell of a lot more reckless than the version that we're used to, and we've seen two seasons of a TV show, so we've got a good idea of her personality from that. Whether that's still canon or not, who cares? But she felt consistent with her appearance in the film. So I'm going to take that as that's who she is. So she was far more reckless and impetuous. And she was never punished for it, I suppose, which, yeah, okay. But she wasn't different enough. The versions of Black Widow, again, they're just riffs on who we've seen. So she's not that different. I found Clint, actually, in the Ultron episode to be interesting, the fact that he just gave up or was about to give up. I've had enough of this. It's the zombie apocalypse thing, the emotionally desensitised to everything that had happened. It's I've lost everyone except you. I've had enough. I can't solve this by shooting an arrow at it, even though I kind of can, I suppose, because he does. We'll install this AI in an arrow and we'll shoot it at Ultron. (laughs) That was the solution, almost. And I like how they did the mirror of Natasha's sacrifice in Endgame, but with Clint doing it this time. I like that. So I'm emotionally connected to him and the fact that he was just done. That was interesting. Again, I'd always see him in live action because he's not different enough to the Hawkeye that we've been watching. At least I don't think he is. So I connected to some of the characters some of the time, but I'm not yeah. sure I really want to see them in live action. I think maybe the novelty of seeing Peggy as a Captain America type in live action would be good. And I've got a funny feeling that's going to happen. It just seems like that's something that they'll do at some point. Could they really beef up, I can't remember the name of the actress, Hayley Atwell. Hayley Atwell. Could they really beef her up sufficiently to play the proper-sized Captain Carter? I guess you would just accept she's the size she normally is. 
for that version, for that appearance. We saw in Falcon and Winter Soldier, people got super soldier serum and it did nothing to them physically. Actually, we did see that. You're right, they did bring it out that way, in which case it's it's okay. In that case, it falls quite heavily on Hayley Atwell to deliver, because that's so difficult. I can't ever get past Buffy the Vampire Slayer for that, where I saw two, if not more, slayers who were totally weedy and no matter what the directors did they always looked so weedy (laughs) and whenever they tried to punch or climb or something you could see the various props that were being used to move them around and they never ever convinced me that these characters were that strong but it was a conceit if you didn't like it stop watching which spoilers i did but then when we came to mandalorian And for the first time, you see a proper female warrior and you're thinking, yep, if she hits somebody, they're staying down. And it was so nice to see something that you believed because it it just made it more real, more believable. You actually thought this person was a serious soldier. So yeah, Hayley Atwell and her directors would be tasked to bring that across. I'm not saying it's impossible, but yeah, that would be an interesting one to see if they could do it. In the case of Buffy, for example, she was supernaturally enhanced, so she didn't have to be bulked up in the way that certainly Peggy was when she got the serum. She was visibly bigger than the version that we're used to. Maybe she would do that. Maybe she wouldn't. But I think if they just brought her in and she was wearing the suit and stuff and they padded the suit enough, you'd be like, yeah, cool, I'm okay with this. It's not about the padding of the suit. Maybe it's the director. The physicality, I think you're referring to, yeah. For example, when we saw the super soldiers in Falcon and Winter Soldier, at no point did you see them in a position of their body that made it impossible to believe that that kick would have had an effect, that punch would have had an effect. Whereas when you go back and watch some of the stuff with Buffy, which I've been forced to do on occasion, much against my will, but what can (laughs) you do? You see people climbing a rope ladder and they are doing hand over hand but their arms are at 90 degrees to the rope. So they are somehow pulling up their center of mass completely away from the rope. And it just looks stupid. And I'm thinking, oh God, how did you... All you had to do was the director was just say to to the prop guy, can you not just bring her into the rope and have her hands above her head a bit? We'll still be pulling her up on the pulley. It's how you direct that physicality, maybe. And maybe I'm just used to modern cinema now and I've seen too much. But even at the time, I remember thinking it looked stupid mm-hmm. back in the 90s or whatever it was. But yeah, I never got that from the actress from Falcon and, and Winter Soldier. I can't remember the name of the character in that either, actually. But the, the main leader of the, Carly. the Red Hand Carly, which when she was punching and kicking, you believe that would hurt. Yeah. And Supergirl, for example, does it really well. She's not bulky or built in the way that others might be, but she's believably strong because her physicality works and they present it in such a way. So it's it's not impossible. I don't know if they would have her bulked up in the way that they drew her in this episode, but I've got a funny feeling that Peggy Carter is going to reappear in live action as this version at some point, especially because towards the end of the show, when they brought her back, they seem to be trying to hang the emotional core of the finale on her. Didn't work, okay. but they were trying to. Fair enough. I don't think I got 
specifically that impression, but I completely believe that they might want to do it. If Hayley Atwell's up for it, then that's all it would take, I think. So it would be weird to think if they just went for it by itself, though. I assume it would be done as part of let's really take this multiverse out for a spin and do several of these. Are you thinking she'd just be the first one to test the waters, as it were? Maybe, yeah. Maybe she'll cross over into something. I don't know. You'd have to do it with a few of them over time, maybe. But who are your candidates? T'Challa, we can't do that. Mm. Like we've said, most of them aren't different enough to merit a crossover, really. I suppose Multiverse of Madness is really going to do this, though. They can bring anybody in. I mean, we're expecting mutants. We're expecting all manner of people to just pop up. So an alt-verse version of somebody... Actually, it makes perfect sense. Why are you here? Stepped into the wrong portal. Fair enough. Happens to me every Tuesday. Off you go. Yeah, we're expecting Toby Maguire, whether we get it or not. Does anybody actually expect that? No, I don't know. Maybe, don't no, I think everybody assumes that everybody yeah. involved with that film is lying. And yeah. I mentioned it on a news podcast recently, but if that film turns out to not be the multiverse, and we talked about this offline, actually. Well, it's already a multiverse film because Alfred Molina's in it, but if it turns out to not be the crossover of the live-action Spider-Man that we've all seen, then it's going to take a while for people to come around to the idea of liking it in a lot of cases because people feel like they've been promised this and then they don't get it. They've never been promised it. No one involved with the film has ever said, we're doing this three Spider-Man thing. But it's gained arms and legs on its own. And it's going to be very difficult for people to be fair to the film if it doesn't happen. This is a known problem, though. That's not new to anything. No. Give the audience what they want is a known thing. And if the audience is yelling at you that this is who they want, then you'd be a fool to ignore it completely. Yeah. It would just be interesting to see that if we come out of No Way Home on the 17th of December and we haven't seen Andrew Garfield or Tobey Maguire to see what the fallout of all that will be. What's the big meme, though? Something like, you wouldn't believe who I had to kill to get these cranberries, and then it becomes a meme, and it's, you wouldn't believe who I had to do something completely different to get this other completely different thing. (laughs) I think they should just have him turn up in the film with either a pizza or a tin of cranberries, leave it somewhere and walk. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, it could happen. That's not what this show was about anyway. Really, the only two characters that are vastly different enough, well, three if you include Doctor Strange, are Peggy and T'Challa. The others aren't. So if they showed up, it'd be like, okay, this is a similar iteration of the one we already have. And then it creates that other multiverse problem that you can have, which is... Death is meaningless. We'll just pull someone in who's similar enough from another universe. I was about to say that. That's exactly what I don't want to see. Because I was about to say they could bring Black Widow back. I'm not sure Scarlett Johansson wants to do that, but in theory you could. But I don't want to see it. Really, really don't want to see it. That seems to undermine everything I've been watching for 10 years. That would be a serious point where I'd think about not coming back and start missing films. Other than the two you've missed. I have missed two films. <laughs> but people keep telling me they're okay. And I'm thinking, well, am I going to make time for something that's okay? Somebody needs to lie to me and say, this was amazing. And then I'll go and watch them both. So people hit up the comment section, tell Aaron that, Ant-Man and the Wasp and Black Widow are the best films you've ever seen. That might encourage them to watch them or prioritise them, I suppose. Yes. But what you talked about there happens in this show. Black Widow from a one universe crosses over to another and decides to live there. Oh, but this is headed up what if. I think you have to start throwing things out the window when it says what if. 
because if you start putting limitations on what if you're kind of going against the spirit of it so that's fair game in a what if literally anything is fair game might not be interesting but it is definitely fair game. but it does highlight the potential issues with this multiverse situation it does Mm, yeah. Probably without meaning to, I don't think they meant to do that. No, no. You don't watch it anymore, but The Flash, for example, they did really well in building their multiverse, and they never strayed into that trap, actually. They never did the, here's our dead friend from another universe, he's going to live here now. Yeah. They've never done that. Yeah, it's one of the, the few traps that they haven't fallen into over the years. There we go. There's a every episode kick-in of The Flash that we seem to do, <laughs> or I seem to do. But there it is. So... I'm guessing from what you said, you don't want to see any of these characters appear in live action, then you're not interested. The heavy negative there is possibly pushing my opinion too far. It's not that I don't want to see them as in I would block it, as in I would not go to see them in a film. It's just that if somebody said, this is what this film's all about, I would put it on my list of, I would maybe watch that. It wouldn't inspire me to watch it. You're not keen to see them then? But I wouldn't say that if they did it, it would ruin it for me or anything. Yeah, I'm just not keen, that's all. That's fair. That's absolutely fair. I suppose we should talk about the finale. Effectively, a two-part finale. You've got Ultron who just takes over everything and then threatens the multiverse and then the Watcher, Boato. I don't think he's ever named that in the show, actually. I don't think he's ever given his name, but... That's what he's called. Anyway. I don't remember it, but yeah. yeah. So he brings together characters that were in the other episodes because they were in the other episodes to fight Ultron. That's already my problem. See that sentence right there? (laughs) Yeah. He had to use them because he had to use them. In that case, no, not interested. Not good enough. My finale, I want a lot more than that. I need Party Thor to have something that no other Thor has. I wouldn't trust that guy to save them. No. Yes, he's not old enough. <laughs> we'll get another Thor. Any of them. Yeah. Any Thor will be better than this one, surely. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and why have you brought Killmonger? It turns out there was a reason for that, but it was initially confusing. Yeah. At the end, it made sense. That's where the writing was okay for me on that one. That was the one part of the finale that I was on board with. The idea that the Watcher and arguably Stephen Strange can intelligently think round the problem, predict something that's going to happen, and move the chess pieces into place to solve it. That's what I wanted to see. Never wanted to see the Watcher and Ultron having a punch-up. What I wanted to see was the fact that the Watcher is infinitely intelligent, infinitely wise, has spent so long watching humans, he can predict their movements, and he can play chess with them. It's not nice, but frankly, it's the skill that I think he would have. Unless you want to go down the other route, he's watching because he's childlike and doesn't understand them, and he's trying to learn. You could have gone down that route, fair enough, but... I don't think I got that impression. I got the impression that somebody was watching everything and saw everything. So at the very end, when they finally give you this chess piece move strategy, I finally got something that I thought was pretty well thought out. Leading up to that, though, I don't think I saw that level of detailed, clever plotting. No. And with Killmonger as well, you'd be forgiven for forgetting he was there because he disappears for so much of the plot and only factors in when he needs to. But the thing is, you've got T'Challa there and his universe, he killed T'Challa. You've got T'Challa encountering a different version of his cousin. There's a conversation that could happen there that doesn't. Mm. There are conversations that could happen between other characters that don't. 
So you just wonder why have you brought these people together? Like I said, the emotional core of it tried to be Peggy, but didn't quite work. But even her friendship with Natasha worked because they set it up with the Winter Soldier thing. Yeah, they're pals. They get along really well. So she'll get along with this version of Natasha really well. Fine. I was okay with that. And then you had that, have I not earned going back to my own time thing? And the Watcher said, well, your world needs you in that time period at this point. And she accepts that. And then she gets Steve back anyway, maybe because they find the suit that he wore on the ship that they were on. Stuff like that. Again, it tried to hang the emotional resonance on her, but it didn't quite get there. But yeah, I was constantly questioning why these collection of people, other than, of course, there's been episodes about them. Or in one case, not, because they didn't finish that one, the Gamora one. Mm. It was what if Gamora killed Thanos. But why not bring Thanos from T'Challa's universe? He'd be useful, for example. He likes Infinity Stones. Well, apparently, though, Ultron can just easily get rid of Thanos. So, yeah, so. true. Kill them in one hit. Yeah. None of the others could be killed that easily. No. So that must have been part of a secret power set. Yeah, so if he can wipe out Thanos in a thought, what's Captain Carter going to do? I just, yeah. That's <laughs> Throw a shield at him? I suppose you had that scene where her and Widow threw their shields at him, and it seemed to do yeah. something. But it picks up on that point again of the characters defining them who are they what good are they why have they even been given an episode yeah and in the first avengers film there's a really nice part where tony stark turns to cap and says you're the military guy here you tell us what to do and cap takes over it gives the the character their thing it shows up their reason for being it gives them their extra power beyond simply being the gimmick of being super strong And you're thinking, oh, okay, yeah, Peggy. Right, Peggy's going to organise them. Peggy's going to strategize. Peggy's going to be the general here. No, I'm not going to do that. Peggy is literally just, as I've said before, not going to say it again because it's a bit dehumanising, but she isn't given enough. She isn't a valid enough character by herself. She is just a, another person in a blue and red suit. You know? Yeah. Shame. And it, she deserved to be more than that. Her universe deserved to be more than that. And the ending, therefore seem to have just fallen into the same trap, mm. wanted more from it, wanted there to be an emotional problem, wanted there to be a strategic problem, wanted somebody to face something with intelligence, did really, really, really not want to see somebody turn up with an Infinity Crusher gimmick that was blatantly just there to fail. No, don't, you're, you're the ending of a what if, don't seed something pointless right here and now there must have been something in the previous seven episodes whereby you could pull that MacGuffin back seven episodes full of stuff somebody must have tripped over something that you could have brought back instead of giving me uh, a new gadget that couldn't possibly succeed because the plot force wouldn't let it so not enough was brought into episode nine from the previous seven episodes for me i needed to see more of the universes coming back rather than just a random character that in case of yes things like thor why why even that just like no just leave the whole thing out but it would have been really cool to see right we need this thing from the party universe that only the party universe has (laughs) brilliant and Loki's holding it. No, oh, we're going to get it off Loki. It seems like an easy one to do. Just go back around your universes. What has everybody got that you need? The Watcher knows. And the Watcher is going to say, right, okay, hang on. What we need is the crystal thimble that was sitting on Nick Fury's desk when he was trying to solve the mystery of who killed Natasha. And they're all going, 
you what? Why on earth do we need that? Ah, well, I'm the watcher. I know these things. And then it turns out that the crystal thimble is going to fall off a cliff at just the right moment to turn off Ultron or something because it's the only thing of the right shape. The watch is that clever and they have to hit things that were only in the universes that they brought up. It felt like when they introduced that episode to me, again, I just thought, right, that's how this is going to play. Uh, no, no, you're just going to bring out a gadget that does nothing. Oh, yeah. oh look, more rays being fired at people. Uh, fair enough. So, mm, sorry, not into it. Or even a bit simpler than that, they could have had it through the previous episodes that these universes are the only ones that became aware of the Watcher in some way. These characters all became aware of the Watcher in their own way. So therefore, he brings them together because to bring others in would mean revealing himself to more people and he can't do that. Yeah, fair enough. And that's within the rules that they've set up within the existing story. Use what you've already created in your build-up. Absolutely. I'd like a better Thor, but I can't tell other Thors that I exist. So I've got you. Do you know, and that makes so much sense because why this Thor? Yeah. Oh my God, we've got to have that one. Oh, great. Fair enough. We'll make it work. And somebody has to deal with that as a funny problem. Can somebody get the beer out of his hand? Extra joke. Yeah, I would be totally on board for that. Otherwise, why doesn't he just bring together a million Captain Marvels? (laughs) Unstoppable. 50 Doctor Stranges. 10 Scarlet Witches, whatever. I'm going to bring together the most powerful beings from every universe I can find and just throw them at Ultron and they will defeat him. You might as well just go the full hog as well. Right, hang on. There's this Dormammu thing. Let's just get one of them in because they won't want their universe destroyed. We'll just set that thing up again. So there's all these ultimate evils. Just get all of them. Just put them in one dustbin universe. Doesn't matter if they screw it up because there's nothing there anyway. And give that a go. At least as a distraction. Yeah, we'll throw them all in and then I'll deal with the survivors later. Just shut the door. <laughs> <laughs> Off we go. There's a bit of noise going on. What do you reckon? We'll have a look in a minute. Yeah. <laughs> Billowing dust clouds as they're all fighting. They could have done that. They could have had every episode where those characters become aware of the Watcher's existence. It would be a very different setup, Ooh. I suppose, but it would explain why it has to be them quite neatly, actually. Yeah. They already know I exist. I'm not risking anybody else finding out, so I'm going to use these people. Some of them are less than ideal, but I'll make do. Yeah, you could have made it, if I wanted as well, in a genre style. It could have been the Watcher's version of the Dirty Dozen. The people that you really didn't expect to be picked. That could have been quite funky. That would have been a different thing, though. But yeah, there are so many other ideas, but all of them focus on that same central point. Use what you've already set up to keep the flow of the story and the plot going into the finale so you feel like you're getting a satisfying finale of the series that you have started watching. All the things we've talked about, they all have that in common. Yeah. What did you think of the previous episode to the finale, though, with Ultron and his campaign against first the universe and then the multiverse? What did you think of the way that all played out and how quickly it escalated and all that stuff. It has to escalate quickly just because you've got to move from one laboratory to the world, to the universe, to the multiverse. So I would understand that going fast. I think to solve that problem, I might have still wanted to have use your previous seven episodes. What if there had been something, some break in the multiverse that built 
and gathered through each failing universe before it rather than just simply Ultron. I'm not sure I'd be clever enough to write that because that sounds really difficult. You tie it in with Loki, I suppose, don't you, in a way? Actually, could have done, yeah. But say you find that, right, that's too much. Let's not worry about that. In that case, I would be okay with number eight moving quickly because I know I'm going to get payoff in number nine and it would be set up. And setup is a bit like exposition. It can be difficult. You wouldn't be totally satisfied. But I think I would have forgiven it so that the speed of it is not necessarily my problem with that. My real problem with it is same as the other one. I'm just kind of not interested. He meets the Watcher. Bad things happen to the Watcher. Shooty, shooty. He's got to destroy the universe. Does he? Does he really have to destroy the multiverse and the universe and everything? Eh, whatever. It's more that it didn't impact on me at all. And I didn't really follow the basic premise either of how do we beat a digital computer? We need an analog one. Really? <laughs> does that work? Is that how it works? Because A comes before D in the alphabet. Oh, right. Okay. I couldn't connect with it. It didn't really mean anything. Maybe that's because it was going fast. And I'm misjudging that. I'm not able to connect with that episode at all, really, despite the stuff that you said that with the watcher saying, look to the left, look to the left, when they're in the filing system. I'll admit you're right there. That was a good character moment for the watcher, but other character moments I couldn't really connect with. Yeah, the Clinton Natasha stuff was well done in that episode, and I think that helped save it in a lot of ways. The rest of it was just, holy crap, this is moving quickly. So it's yeah. Ultron gets to build the body that in our universe, the universe I don't live in, becomes Vision. But in this, he downloads himself into that, and that's his body. And then suddenly Thanos shows up, gets taken out in one hit by the Mind Stone, which I'm not really willing to accept. I think that's too easy. Thanos would be smarter than that, because he just stands there and takes it. He would have done something. He had four stones. He could have put up a fight at the very least. Put up a shield. Yeah, yeah. yeah, he could have done anything. He literally had the ability to shape reality, but whatever. And then Ultron moves to all these other planets that we've seen, and they actually do an effective job of here's that point of view character that you're aware of you're going to see them blow up now so there's an attempt to give you some meaning but again it's just stuff blowing up and then for some reason the only survivors are Hawkeye and Black Widow somehow even Captain Marvel gets defeated to be fair Ultron has to destroy a galaxy to do it but yeah. still becomes the ants hiding underneath the shoe principle those yeah but yeah those two survive you just have to kind of go with it or you don't and yeah. i wasn't really willing to go with it necessarily no tricky one definitely a tricky one not pretending i would have definitely written it any better but it it does have those troubles yeah the spectacle was fine and we've come on to the animation now the animation style and stuff. the spectacle was fine you say it was the Watcher and Ultron hopping between realities, punching each other or firing beams at each other. And it was that, but the visual flair was nice. The different realities, you get to see Captain America sworn in as president in one of them and various different other little Easter eggs thrown in the background. That was pretty cool. In terms of the Watcher having those powers, I suppose, why not? They haven't introduced the power cosmic yet, or they haven't explained it yet. So you don't really know what that is. I imagine they'll cover that in more detail once you get to the Silver Surfer and things like that when they eventually get around to that, what the power cosmic is. But yeah, I love the animation style in this show. I thought it looked great. And I thought they did some really cool stuff with action sequences throughout. And obviously the characters all look like the characters and stuff, but that CGI cell shaded type animation, I don't really know a lot about animation terms. 
But I like how the show looked and I liked how they deployed it as well. The animation style, yes. I feel like I don't know enough about that to comment either. But in terms of did it display what I wanted it to, yes, it did. I wasn't put off by anything. I didn't think anything was distracting in the wrong place. I enjoyed it. So I feel like I'm kind of the wrong person. I feel like I want Isaac just sitting here ready to jump in. So yes, I enjoyed it. But I'm afraid I feel like I'm going to let you down on talking about it. Was there any sequences then that stood out to you? based on the animation that you really liked or didn't like, I suppose. Probably it's another one of these ones where it's very much bring your own darkness with you. I had to make a mental adjustment, which I forgot to make at the start. And it should have been obvious to me because I have watched animations before. I've been watching them for decades, but I forgot to make the mental adjustment that when you move into animation, power levels go up. I had forgotten that. When I did bring that back in i settled into it better and it was actually fine but it comes back to me again though when you say would you like to see any of these people brought into the film universe because i'm thinking well they kind of can't because the power level of thor went right up i had no idea that thor could punch people from one continent to another (laughs) that was never brought up i know he can fight the hulk but I didn't realise that the Hulk could do that either. And yeah, but you didn't realise that he could go toe-to-toe with Captain Marvel, I suppose. I also didn't know that. Now, Captain Marvel, I didn't realise she could do what she did. But however, they do ex- at least explain that. In every previous film you've seen me, I've been holding back. Because if I didn't, it would go really bad. And I had to say to myself, fair enough. All right. I didn't realise that's the field we were playing on. But now I understand where we are that makes internal consistent sense to me actually holding back against thanos and endgame though why would you... that does raise that question i suppose but at, at least in a cartoon universe because i say as soon as you animate power level goes up so if i assume that it's internally consistent with a cartoon universe is what i'm saying an animated universe is where that fits but yeah trying to bring it back into the real universe don't see how you can do it thor don't see how you can do it because if you can punch people between continents that is a completely different character so i did make that mental adjustment and then i was fine but it has that extra problem i think that's throughout though everything is bigger brighter more powerful everything is just a bit more ott and when you're watching the thor episode as well it's pretty much maria hill goes straight for nuclear weapons And you're thinking, what, what What just happened there? That's not the Maria Hill I was expecting. But then you have to go, all right, hang on, no, alternate universe. In this universe, people do go straight for the nuclear weapons. That's just the way it's done here. (laughs) Again, you have to adjust yourself and go, that's just how it is. And it's fine, but you really do need to do that, though, because everything is that bit more over the top. And I can enjoy it when I make that mental adjustment, but whoops, forgot to. In that universe, Nick Fury will politely go and tell Thor to keep it down. Yes. Actually, that I believe he would do anywhere, because that's just his style of humour. And the way they've played it is, Samuel L. Jackson is the one person that can play on every power level. (laughs) He has no powers. He cannot stand in terms of a blast at any power level. Probably couldn't even take street-level villains. But his secret power is, I can play at every level. And it's fine. You, I believe that. I didn't question that at all. Yeah, he's built that. What's the word I'm looking for? It's that confidence, that capability. It's that I am not phased by you. You can destroy galaxies. I don't care. Get off my planet. <laughs> you believe it. 
because it'll have something up his sleeve that makes it okay. You just trust that that's the way it's going to be. Yeah. Some of the key sequences for me were, I liked a lot of the stuff they did with Peggy during the World War II stuff. You couldn't imagine Steve flipping a tank or whatever she does. We'd yeah, never see that, that. but yeah. yeah, it was fine. Looks great and, and it was cool. The Thor-Captain Marvel fight was really good, even though it is just invincible people hitting each other. But it escalated quite nicely. And they weren't trying to kill each other either. It was the Civil War problem in a way, wasn't it? Yeah. They're not fighting to win as such. They're fighting. I don't know why they're fighting. They're just fighting. Thor thinks it's fun. Captain Marvel's trying to get him to stop. Yeah. That's the stakes. It just so happens that they're tearing lumps out of the planet as they're doing it. Which, yeah, cool. It worked for me. The Ultron stuff I enjoyed from a pure spectacle point of view. In both episodes, actually, I thought they did some really cool creative action sequence stuff with those things but beyond that i don't know the zombie stuff was kind of boring zombies aren't that interesting to fight you have to accept the conceit that they're mindless zombies but they can still use their powers for some reason you have to kind of accept that but there wasn't really anything interesting there yeah there was a lot of cool action stuff and i don't know if you'd necessarily see it in live action like you say with the power level thing i don't expect to see chris evans flipping a tank Probably because we're never going to see Chris Evans ever again. But I wouldn't expect to see it flipping a tank just with his shield. If they showed me it in a Captain America movie, I'd be like, okay, fair enough. He can do that, I suppose. Yeah, it might have pushed the boat out too far on that. And it actually is something that I don't want to see either. Because some of the most impressive moments for me from Captain America were, did that guy just jump out of a plane without a parachute? Yes. Yes, he did. <laughs> and that is something you actually stand back and go, whoa, that's impressive. But you take that up to Captain Marvel, that's nothing. That is just nothing. It's just rubbishy powers. But Captain Marvel is not somebody whose power set impresses me. It's the trillion Dalek problem again. It's too high up to impress me. But jumping out of a plane with a parachute, I've got chills because you yeah, fair enough. So I kind of want it to stay within that realm to have an impact on me. If he flipped a tank, I've lost the impact. Well, if you saw him flip a tank in First Avenger, he's jumping out of a plane in Winter Soldier, you're like, so what? Yeah, who cares? No impact, absolutely. And that would be a shame to lose that, whereas Captain America's always been impressive for that reason. I know you have your trouble with Batman, but one of the reasons that in the DC side, one of the reasons I've always preferred Batman to the other characters is because he's human. And when he does stuff... I'm impressed by it because I think it's either clever or it's technological and he's managed to trick somebody with these godlike powers. There's been a lot of it. I totally get the problem. There's been so much Batman. There's too much of it. You've seen this, that, and the other story again. But to go back to where I was as a child who didn't have that problem, I saw somebody who could just fly and fly around the world and turn back time. And it was like, my, yeah, he's a superhero. But you see somebody fly across an open space and just about survive it, you're thinking, oh, I couldn't do that. Something smaller is much more impressive. So I'm happy with the Captain America I got and would not want to see a tank flipper at all. It would ruin it for me, I think, a little bit. Maybe you'd react differently if that's how they started. Oh, well, then it would be a different character. But the character they've set up would be ruined, I think, is what I'm thinking. Yeah, I take what you mean by the power level going up. Yeah, Captain Marvel is immediately just ridiculous in this mm. Thor, much more powerful than he would seem to be in the films. For example, baseline Ultron should be no match for Thor then, by the logic of what yeah. we saw here. Yeah, Fair enough, Ultron with all the Infinity Stones. Yeah, he's a challenge, but 
the Ultron we saw in Age of Ultron should not have been a problem for Thor at all. Brings me back to the finale on that, then, actually, because I think, again, because of that power level problem, I think it makes the finale impossible to a certain degree because you cannot ground anything in the physical world anymore and expect it to be considered a threat. Once you've said this thing is infinitely powerful, it becomes a matter of, well, how does Lex Luthor defeat Superman? He outsmarts him. And, oh, yeah, fine. So how does the Watcher defeat Ultron? He should have played him at chess and beaten him on a strategic field, which he kind of does. But once you're at that power level, it's the only way to make it satisfying. And it works in Party Thor because it's funny. And that's all you're trying to do. You're just trying to make your audience laugh. That's all you need to achieve. And they do it. So you, you're not really bothered about the power level at that point because it's not plot critical. But in so many of the other ones, I think it was plot critical. Yeah, absolutely. And kind of as a finishing point, almost, I will say that I did enjoy the fact that they didn't necessarily lean on some of the characters that it would have been easy to lean on. For example, we didn't get an awful lot of Tony Stark. In fact, it was a joke. Every time he appeared, he died. He was killed off, sometimes very quickly. His most prominent appearance was in the Killmonger episode, but even then he doesn't last that long. And it's weird because in that episode, they didn't play him as intelligent as he usually is because he's outsmarted very easily. And you can put some of that down to arrogance and the fact that he doesn't learn any life lessons or whatever. He just assumes that he's the smartest and richest person in the room. So Killmonger will be subservient to him and that's how he gets defeated in a way. Mm. But I didn't quite buy it that he would be defeated so easily. But I I thought it was quite interesting that, okay, we're not going to lean on Tony Stark for this entire show. Out of the original Avengers, he probably got the least traction. Mm. Captain America, I suppose, he didn't get very much, but he had quite a prominent role in the Peggy Carter episode as Steve. But you didn't see much of him as Captain America. But they were focusing on, I guess, maybe the characters that we're going to see a bit more of later on. They were trying to push them forward a bit. Thor, for example. We'll see a bit more of him. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. On Earth, I find I'm still finding it very difficult to predict where they're going to go from here. And if, if I think they're going to try and bring it into the greater multiverse, the option is definitely there with Multiverse of Madness. I think that's the thing. They can now go anywhere in any direction. So the door is open. Yeah, absolutely. But yeah, I think we've about covered it. Do you have any points that are sitting there on your notes in their own little universe that deserve to be made prominent and aired? I managed to sneak everything in, actually. So I'm, I'm happy that I've covered yeah, my main point. Nice. Nice one. We have we did it. The definitive take on what if. We've covered an entire multiverse completely yeah. in two hours. Done. We did it. I'm going to finish off with, what would you like to see in season two, then? What alternate takes might you want to see? Do you want to see sequels to some of these stories? Do you want to see Peggy Carter, the Winter Soldier? Is there any what-if ideas you had rattling around when they announced the concept that you might want to see played with? I haven't thought about that well enough to give you any specifics, but i tell you what I don't want. I don't want to see the characters go through their films. I don't want to see Peggy do Captain America 1, Captain America 2. I think that just ruins what they've set up. You don't want to see Peggy Carter Civil War? No, really don't want to see that. I want them to play around more with the bigger changes. So what if T'Challa became Star-Lord? Star-Lord's name aside, it's a big change. 
what if Doctor Strange lost his heart didn't necessarily hit me as hard, but that's my problem, not the programs. That actually went down a different route and gave him a different problem to solve. It's stuff like that that I want to see more of. I want to see a real what if. Take a concept and investigate it with the character that you think is the best to investigate it with by changing something about their past. It just opens up so many doors if you really try and break the mold on it. Like, what if Steve Rogers never got the opportunity to join the Super Soldier program? How would he have still been a hero? And you'd end up telling a completely different story with the character that we know and love. Or go the opposite route rather than keep the character and give them a new universe go down the as I say the T'Challa route where you keep the universe but put a different character in it both are valid ways of doing it but they really need to push it out I would happily see Peggy Carter how she made women's rights move faster simply by being a predominant strong female character in the 1940s what world does that give us and when it comes to 2000 what problem would we have faced because of the butterfly effect instead of the ones that they did have to face so the avengers film is there enough of a butterfly effect such that they would have faced somebody different instead of how they were originally brought together would they have come together earlier would they have come together later and really starting to play into the words what if more because i think that at the moment is just a title and I'm, I'm not convinced they've lent into it any more than that so i want to push that harder sure yeah i don't have many specific things i would like to see there's some stuff that might be interesting such as what if steve rogers had never been frozen what would his life be like if he'd remained as captain america in the in the second world war how would that shape things mm. how would that shape his life what would it turn out to be i suppose you get a taste of that in endgame he would just live happily ever after with peggy but would he in that scenario, would that happen? You don't know. Yeah. There's other stuff. In, in the comics, they did. What if other people got bitten by the spider that made Spider-Man, that kind of stuff. So maybe don't do that. I don't know. They did tease that they're maybe going to bring in more Phase 4 type stuff. So maybe we'll do an alternate take on Shang-Chi. What if his mother never died? Something like that. Yeah. What if his father died instead of his mother? Something like that. I don't know. How does that change his life? Things like that. Yeah. yeah. What if he had to and accepted his role as run a criminal empire? Yeah. And how would he have dealt with that? And what problem would that have come up? That's a real big change. As in, not going to show you the film, but we're going to show you the character and how they deal with something. Yeah, totally up for that. that what if the Eternals did interfere during the Thanos thing? Yeah. That kind of stuff. I'm just trying to think of films maybe in phase two and phase three that, that could have played out differently. What if Steve signed the Accords? That could be quite an intellectual one, yeah, a bit of philosophy. And I mean, it wouldn't be. It would still result in him fighting Iron Man somehow. What if the Howard the Duck world had survived quite happily <laughs> and Thanos had to be faced against the Duck Avengers? You know, we're just pushing it yeah. out, you know? What if Thanos was a duck? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Howard the Duck gets the Infinity Stones. Go. 
you know, we're thinking a bit too small with that, I suppose. They could go completely outlandish and be like, yeah, what if this universe is nothing like the one, the physical laws of this universe that we're about to show you are nothing like the one that you're familiar yeah. with? I mean, it's animated. Right, let's get Alligator Loki and people apparently love yeah. that thing. Go yeah, for let's it. do something with that. So yeah, there's loads of stuff. There's nothing really specific that I want to see based on the MCU films we've already seen because I just feel like it would be a slightly different version of what we already got based on what we got here, which is intermittently interesting but when you actually see it it's like, okay that was a thing that happened mm. i'm not massively fussed about it i'm sure there's innumerable things you could do with these things what if thor had went for the head <laughs> it's <laughs> well thanos would be dead but what would happen after that don't know up to the writers to find out so yeah i thought that'd be a good one to finish on so why not just give your final thoughts to the audience on what if? Final thoughts are, unfortunately, I suppose, my beginning thoughts. It just wasn't what I thought it was going to be. Now, maybe that is me bringing my darkness with me, but I'm only going to be able to say I really enjoyed the ones that were completely different to the films that we started with. And T'Challa was definitely my favourite because of it. My final thought is I enjoyed it, but usually only on a surface level there was some of it that was inviting me in and making me care a bit more and think a bit deeper about it but a lot of it was just i'm enjoying the spectacle here i'm enjoying the novelty i'm not really fully on board with it in the way that i would be with any other mcu property all the tv shows for example i've enjoyed them well i enjoyed this one too but i've enjoyed all the TV shows to a much deeper degree than I enjoyed this because they were giving me quite a lot in terms of character and so on. Whereas this, it was mm. threatening to give me character sometimes, extra character beats that I could latch onto sometimes, but it never quite dug into them in a way that I wanted it to. And character's a big thing for me, so I really wanted that. And that's why I enjoyed the Doctor Strange one, because it did give me that. And it showed that it was possible as well, which makes it all the more frustrating when the other episodes don't do that. Yeah, exactly. So that's my final thought on it. We will talk about season two, I guess, when it appears, because it is getting one. Yeah, fair enough. So yeah, thank you, Aaron, for joining me to discuss and ponder the question, what if? Indeed. That was our discussion about what if. I'd like to thank Neil Stenson for the supplied music. Also would like to thank our in-house artist, Isaac, for the banner artwork. If you enjoyed what you heard, then please do subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, anywhere you get your podcasts, really. If you're on Apple Podcasts, please do leave us a star rating and a comment. But, Aaron, what number would we like that rating to be? We have to ask for a five, don't we? You're going to get me into hate mode. We've managed to stop me hating all the way through, and now you've got to bring in the hate. <laughs> I just want to make sure you're the right version from the right universe. Oh, it's a right. test. Yeah, the hate is bad. Yeah, yeah, you passed. Well done. But yes, five stars. If you want to speak to us about what if or anything else, you can hit us up on Facebook or Twitter under Neil Before Blog or go to neilbeforeblog.co.uk and leave a comment under the podcast article. We'd love to hear from you, what you thought of the show and so on. Thank you for listening and we hope you'll join us next time on Neil Before Pod. <laughs>